My name is Victor Kubik. Welcome to Inside United. Today is April 24th, 2022. The war in Ukraine has been going on for almost 60 days now. But today I have a guest, a person who I've become acquainted with here in the last uh, month or two, who is from Ukraine. His name is Roman Hernishin. And uh, he's been a person of, of very great interest in that uh, he ha is from Ukraine. He's from Western Ukraine, from the city of Lutsk, who lives in Kiev with his wife, Lesia, and their three children. And he works, we'll have him explain a little bit more about the kind of work that he does, but he works with agriculture, and we'll have him explain that. But good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is uh, very nice uh, that you invited uh, us, me and my family here today. It's a great honor to be able to speak to you and to, to share with the information from Ukraine about what is really firsthand going on there right now. Ukraine has at least two big focal points right now of what's happening. Uh, first of all, the war in Ukraine. I'd like to have uh, Roman tell us a little bit about that, how that's affected him and his family. But number two, Ukraine is one of the top five agricultural regions in the world. Uh, it raises food for 600 million people. This is information that I have from his website. That means a country of 40-some million people, 44 million people, raises food for 600 million people, 15 times the population of Ukraine. Much of it, of course, obviously exported to different places in the world, across North Africa, the Middle East, uh, you know, j just everywhere. And of course, with the war, uh, being in progress right now, there's concern that there may not be a harvest. In fact, I have seen some alarming editorials, op-eds, about the fact that uh, this will cause a worldwide famine even. Although, Roman can tell us a little bit differently because he works directly with people, with the farmers and the ones who are going there. So there are two factors. Number one, the war in Ukraine. And number two, the fact that Ukraine is such an agricultural area where some nations have resources in minerals and oil. Ukraine has not only <laughs> those resources, but has resources with agriculture. The Black Earth area is one of the top farming regions in the entire world. You know, I have gone to your website, which is called travelite.cob.ua, and it's a website that began with his work with the travel industry, but he has morphed or has developed more work with the agricultural sector. But I would like him to tell all of us about his work. Now, I might mention that I have gotten to know Roman through Neil Kinsey. Many of you know Neil Kinsey. He's an elder in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and he lives in southeastern uh, Missouri. I'm not an agricultural person myself, so I didn't have that common bond with him. But Roman, tell us about yourself and uh, how, how, how are we connected? It was in 2017 when I decided to do my own business. And uh, initially I was planning to, to do a tourism networking for agricultural producers. But uh, once I got into agriculture, the agriculture wouldn't let me go out from it. So I had uh, a couple of requests to do the agricultural tours. And one of the requests was to actually translate uh, using the agricultural English, the specialized English for Neil Kinsey. Uh, it was a very serious project for me at the beginning of my um, own career. So 
<clears throat> of course, I got prepared and I met Neil and he was so easygoing, but he was so difficult to find, to get a little bit of time of his because all of the audience in the hall were uh, asking him questions and I was just having, I was supposed to translate their questions, but had no no uh, possibility of asking my questions. This was the first time, then came the second time in a couple of months. And during the second time, I was asked to help recruit, spread the word about Neil coming. The third time was already when we translated Neil's handbook on agronomy, uh, my team, and uh, we organized a three-day seminar in Kiev. So this is when we had a very close uh, connection, when we established a very close connection with Neil and <clears throat> his team, and he... Uh, actually liked our team as well so the next step was unfortunately not possible to do physically we worked with Neil uh, through the online it was the 2020 when nobody traveled anywhere but I promised that we will bring and we will organize for Neil uh, we would we would organize for Neil a very good trip throughout Ukraine and once the possibility uh, was uh, drew up the, the, possi the possibility came to being we organized a trip throughout the northwest central Ukraine in June 2021. So Neil, his uh, partners from Germany, from the state of Maine and the farmers from Germany, they joined us on the tour throughout the four Ukrainian farms who are practicing this, this technology, this Albrecht system. Uh, we had various um, uh, evenings to talk about the, what we were observing. We had a lot of people interested and in spending hours in the field with us. And uh, this is probably when Neil felt the Ukrainian culture and he actually fell in love with, with every, everything Ukrainian. We've traveled to Ukrainian folk, open air museums of the uh, architecture. Uh, near Kiev, and um, we had some time to, to talk. So when uh, this year uh, we were, we had to change our plans, and we have set up the program uh, that was forced by the war going on. Neil was the first to support, and he he actually, uh, I, I I must say thanks to him not only for the supporting the idea, f but for also for doing very serious actions in order to help us set up the, the project that we are currently uh, implementing. So the, this, is, th this is shortly how we got, got to work with, with Neil and how we developed from the simple travel agency for the agricultural clients to the, uh, to the company, to the team of people who are uh, right now trying to support the Ukrainian small agricultural industry and the villages of Ukraine. So, Roman, give us a perspective on agriculture at this time of the war, and maybe tell us the war is now into its 59th day today. Uh, as what you project, maybe that's a secondary question, what you project where this is all going? So, first of all, of course, the war, uh, although being... Uh, talked uh, before it started it uh, nobody actually believed and not every industry was prepared I would say majority of the industries and people got unprepared with this war 
However, if we speak about the farmers, this is the category of the people who um, have been taught by their life experience to take care of the future possible issues upfront. So, uh, speaking of the bigger farmers, they uh, at the beginning of my career when I was working with them, they didn't have that experience. It was about 15-14 years ago. But now they are buying their inputs upfront. This is what partially is saving situation right now. But if we speak about the war, let's, let's start from the very beginning. Everybody was shocked. On the 24th of February, the farmers who I spoke two days before and they assured me, Roman, come on, there is nothing going to happen. They were speechless. I started calling them and asking, how are you? Because I have a lot of uh, farmers, friends in Chernihiv Oblast, in the, at the border, like uh, maybe a couple of meters from the edge of his field, there comes the border between Belarus. In Odessa, there are a lot of farmers who were just planning to travel with me in May. So I called every one of them while I was fleeing from Kiev to Western Ukraine, to Lutsk. My family was already there, but... I picked up my cousin with her uh, daughter, with her uh, son, and we were driving towards uh, Lusk for, if usually it took us about 5.30, 5 hours, little more, we were driving for about 10 hours because of the traffic jams, because of all those passovers. Pass so I talked to them and they said that they are not uh, actually knowing what to do and the season was coming. They were supposed to be preparing. They stopped everything. That was the shock. After a couple of days, they understood. And this is the kind of people who, no matter what is the situation, they will keep doing what they've been taught to do. Because if you look at the owners of the farms in Ukraine, those are the people who have been grown on the farms usually. Maybe not owning those farms, but they are very <coughs> pro farming and uh, this is their culture so they stayed at home they didn't leave majority of those who I spoke they never left their villages maybe just took their families out but the men stayed there and they were trying to do uh, first the first thing that they did they started to support the army the first maybe 14 days they spent all their money all their if they had some swine some cattle they were doing the food canning the, the meat and sending all to the front line for free, like volunteering. The second thing, they started to spend the money for support of the army to purchase the actual military stuff. So the money that was supposed to be spent for the planting, they almost all the budget sent to the army. And it doesn't matter which region that was. Either the Western Ukraine that is, was, was not suffering, or Chernihiv, or uh, next to Belarus, or Odessa. Russian-speaking, Orthodox, Catholics, anyone. They all were united by one thing. So then, closer to the season, when we understood that our military, our forces are doing something that nobody expected, so they are actually pushing back or putting, uh, standing strong on their positions, the farmers understood that there is a possibility for them to plant. And those who were able to plant, they started going into the fields, feeding the winter crops, uh, applying fertilizers to the spring, before the spring crops. And when Neil and his colleagues came in June, uh, they said that uh, Mr. Victor just mentioned an interesting fact about 600 million people. Right now, this is the potential 
to feed 600 million people. But according to Neil and his German colleagues, Ukrainian soil, once is fixed and balanced, it can increase times its production, which means that the potential is much higher than it is right now. So they, they even called the Ukrainian soil a sleeping beast in, in a positive meeting, me, meaning. Uh, and they said that, of course, the world will, will have a very big competitor once the beast is uh, awakened. But this is a different story. Uh, so uh, they understood that they need to be supporting the economy. They need to be planting because the season is something that once you miss a couple of weeks or a month, the whole uh, year is lost. But there was a problem for them to sell their commodities. So they spent the money that was supposed for planting for the army. And to do the planting, they needed some uh, money, at least even, even though they had majority of the inputs in their barns, they still needed the money for the planting season. But selling the commodities, which was also in their storage, majority of the farmers they know that the prices get higher in the spring they uh, have already built a lot of storages themselves and they are the, uh, there is a statistics i do not remember but some part was at the big storages the big elevators terminals of the grain traders another part was already on the barges in the black sea right now those are blocked and the remaining was in the small elevators of the farmers. So in order to find alternative capital, the farmers started wanted to, to sell something, but the logistics was broken. The Russian fleet, they have mined Black Sea. By the way, when they did that, they posted the news mentioning that Ukrainians did this. And while talking about that, they mentioned the exact number of mines in the Black Sea. So how would you know if it, were, if it weren't you mining? So as a result, 80% of our possi possible um, uh, route of the export of grains was closed. And that total per month export capacity is 5 million metric tons of grains. So out of five, we were left with just a little bit. So what railway can do is 0.7 million per month. That's tops. That's maximum. This is due to limited railways. This is due to the limited capacity of the ports in Europe because all of our crops are coming not to Europe. Majority of them are coming to North America, to Middle East and uh, Egypt and uh, sorry, North Africa, North Africa. And that is usually shipped by the barges. So in order to sell it to those markets, we still need to find ports. The ports in Europe, they are already crowded with the grains from Europe. We need to squeeze in. Another thing, an interesting fact, is that Ukrainian, the width of Ukrainian railroads is about 3 inches, 4 inches wider than in Europe. So in order to export grain by uh, the rail, there Excel axis of the tires of the wheels need to be changed. So each of the cars needs to be put onto a separate set of wheels. This is like this bottleneck. So although we have a lot of uh, cars, we have a lot of railroads, but they need to stop. First thing, do the paperwork like customs. Second thing, they need to change these wheels.
And that is very problematic. That is what is narrowing this uh, uh, capacity. As a result, now we have the grains that must be sold to the market. First of all, the world needs these commodities. They're expecting it and they're counting on it. Secondly, the new harvest is coming in a couple of months. And within the capacities that we have right now, only uh, like 0.7 million per month, we will be exporting all the remaining grain in our storages for 40 months, for zero months. But we need those storages in three months. This is the major problem for the world and for the Ukraine right now. The Ministry of Ukrainian Agriculture is my, I, I wouldn't dare to say friend, but we are in very good relationship, Mikola Soisky. So he recently was given an interview and he says that all of his efforts, like almost 90% of his work is taken by, by finding ways how to export the grain. The farmers are planting. They are hoping for the best. But it was just three days ago I talked to one of the farmers. Also a couple of interesting facts. The prices for the small grains dropped 30%. The prices for the vegetables dropped very much too. I ask, okay, small grains, we, we do not have a capacity to export, but what about vegetables? Don't Ukrainians eat vegetables? And he answered that the reason for the drop of the vegetables prices, like uh, table beet, uh, uh, potato, uh, carrot, onions, cabbage, is because the women were rescued by their uh, men, by their husbands, they take, were taken to the uh, west or abroad. And only main men remain, remained in this uh, in, in in Ukraine. Ma majority of people population right now are men staying in Ukraine, and men usually do not care of cooking borscht or cooking something serious with uh, vegetables. Men just take a bite of meat, uh, bread, and that's all. And he's uh, he's uh, okay. Women are responsible for these substantial meals uh, using the, the vegetables. However, he said, the farmer who's about 90% of his crop rotation are vegetables, he said, I don't care about the prices. We are working, the people are working like volunteers right now, and we are hoping for the victory. Once we have the victory, economy will fix itself. We have the potential, we have the people, we have the spirit. And he is farming in the area very close to Bucha. Thanks God, the uh, Russian soldiers, they were just coming through uh, around his village and his lands. He still needed to demine his field, fields using drones. But right now he said with two to three weeks uh, being late, but he planted all the hectares of his land. Unfortunately, not all of the farmers are that successful. According to different estimates, if we speak about vegetables and spring crops, from 20 to 40% of the land will not be planted. For the reason of, first of all, destroyed landscape. So when, where the missiles exploded, there are these um, holes. Secondly, because there are a lot of machinery, the military machinery that uh, burned there, and thirdly, and which is, the, this thing is probably the most cynical. E about two years before that, Russians presented the new state-of-the-art distance system of mining. 
and that system could mine the the territories within the maybe 20 to 30 miles with a large number of mines coming hitting the the soil but they are they have been mining ukrainian fields this in this war not the roads not the uh, forests where the uh, soldiers might be hiding just the fields and they named this system tillage земледелие this is the most cynical thing that i can can imagine that's just just outrageous what did farmers or agricultural industry do bad to them this explains, that's my conclusion, but this explains and uh, that the history repeats itself. In 1919, the first were Ukrainian farmers who lost all their property due to the communists who came and forced them to go to collective farms. In 30, year 32-33, the Great Famine in Ukraine, it was also targeting the people, the small farmers who had some food who were growing the food and the food was taken away just before winter so that they didn't have any alternative and in this war they are uh, stealing uh, so they've been uh, going through the villages and they've been destroying just just for fun destroying the elevators the farm uh, equipment uh, so it, it did not it, it had no danger to them from the military standpoint so they just destroyed in order to disable Ukraine and break this net, this uh, uh, chain of production, of agricultural production in Ukraine. This is like they are envy, envious that Ukrainians actually can produce and can feed that many people, but they cannot. This is really <coughs> such a heartbreaking story, you know, about a people who have their land, who have villages, have worked hard and are even proud proudly built their homes and everything to have this beast of a power come from the north and destroy everything. And yet the amazing spirit of the Ukrainians is so so resilient. They are not aggressors. They don't want Russia. <laughs> they just want to be leave us alone and help us to just uh, let us just do what we're supposed to be doing. Roman, you know, being a Ukrainian, living in Kiev in the capital, you know, until, you know, you have moved to safety with your family to Germany. Where do you think this is going? Honestly, here we are uh, April 24th, and today we had an announcement, you said, you know, with news about Russia uh, mounting another assault on Kharkiv and the Donbass area. Uh, give, us, give us some thoughts about where this is going. Uh, after Bucha and after the news that we were hearing before but understanding nothing, for example, why the Russian uh, military department purchased 40,000 of plastic bags for the corpse, for the dead bodies, before the attack in Ukraine. And uh, these lists that the intelligence, that it seems to me British intelligence have provided Ukrainian uh, military, that uh, in each city, their uh, FSB, their uh, forces, they have the list of patriots. Why would they have those? So after they retreated from the north of Kiev, from Bucha, uh, we understood that the main goal is not denazification or any other things that they were talking in their propaganda that made actually no sense, but still is the genocide of Ukrainians. And if they succeeded back then to capture Kiev and shut us off from Europe, 
the same thing that happened in Bucha would be happening in any town or any city, especially in the West, where the, the patriotism is the most strongest among the people. Uh, even, even in the furthest no uh, East, the people are not supporting the idea of uniting with Russia, they would like to stay a sovereign country. So even they, as you can see right now with Mariupol, the Russian-speaking town, city, the uh, majority of people were have, they have relatives in Russia and they were in close relationship with Russia. It is just torn down. Why? Because they didn't want to give, didn't give up uh, in 2014. Mariupol was the city that actually re, uh, held, held its ground yeah while while uh, russians were trying to move for further to crimea so maybe that's kind of like a punishment but still there is no uh, their idea is to destroy the nation the the country and i can speak along from the history why they think so and why they want to do it <clears throat> but their uh, world has been shown by ukrainians right now that we will not give up and uh, I've heard it a lot of times while in Germany, uh, you should just give up the weapon and uh, allow them to occupy you. They will not be economically sufficient enough to, to build, to, to hold Ukraine. So they will just give you out. No, they will not. They will destroy, just like they did in the past in the history, by shooting all the in intelligence, hundreds of people in one time, because they were thinking wider than the others. They would do the same here. And they are doing it right now, unfortunately, in Mariupol, in Kherson, in, uh, they did it in uh, Chernihiv, but they li left right now in Kharkiv and uh, all, all those cities that are still being partially captured. So the first, they attack those who are patriots. I do not think that they will succeed in this war. The only question here is what is the price that we are going to pay? Right now, the price has gone very high. If we do not speak about economy, which is counting about $600 billion to rebuild everything, the people's life, they, are, they cannot be assessed with the money, and especially the children. Over 200 children died for nothing, and another couple of dozens are kept in Mariupol and in other cities, just hostages. How many of them were taken to Russia by force? to export them to far east or far north, nobody even knows. But they say that this also counts to thousands. Just children, the men, the, the, the women who were a lot of terrible things, uh, you probably know it from the news, but that, that is true. And the, uh, the older generation who have seen Nazis, the true Nazis, in, during the World War II, they all say that Russian military right now act worse, much worse. They do not have anything to, like in their heart, any idea. They just destroy everything they can. In fact, today I heard from my friends in Chernihiv who have memories of World War II. They said the Nazis, the Germans who came in 1941 were not as bad as what they are seeing now. That's very right. That is very right. And um, while I was in Germany, the farmer's daughter, uh, she has accumulated about 1,000 euros with her uh, classmates from MBA classes that she just graduated. And she asked me, 
can we can you help us pass this money to someone in uh, in need in Ukraine who were fleeing uh, who were running away from uh, the war so I used my network of trusted farmers and uh, two of them said I'm sorry we are sitting in the basement we do not have any connection to what's going on in even in our village maybe you should wait a little bit and one of them uh, in the West Ukra- Western Ukraine said that sure my uh, um, building for for the actual workers that we use for to uh, for the workers to live right now is occupied with all those refugees we are taking care of a number of refugees from Chernihiv oblast and I have a family who uh, ran from from there and they have nothing to even purchase the clothes uh, for they left their car everything because they were running for about uh, two days from Chernihiv to uh, to Chernobyl which is usually takes about 10 hours <clears throat> so once we learned their story, it was just, uh, I couldn't stop but cry. The, the older lady, she said, I survived while our village was torn down by Germans in during the World War II. Me and my husband, we rebuilt everything there. We didn't run away. After the uh, World War II, we spent a couple of uh, dozens of years to, to build the home. Then my grandson and granddaughter, they decided to return from big city to the village and they invested into this home to make it more modern for their, uh, for their kids, so that would be grandchildren. And once they finished the redecora- uh, this decoration inside, the Russians came and did even worse. She, the older lady, she was left alone because uh, the women and children, they fit just two cars. And uh, the older mother said that I, she actually gave off. She said, you need to run away, I will stay. She didn't want to leave the home. She stayed in the basement with the neighbor. The bomb destroyed the home. They hardly took her out of the basement of this cell where they keep the potatoes and and, uh, cans. She moved across the field to her uh, relatives, another cell. In a few days, a bomb hit that cell too. She could hardly get out from that. And she moved to the third one. And again, the third one was destroyed as well. So wherever she was running, the Russians were just like uh, coming after her. And finally, the volunteers came and took her back to uh, to this Ternopil place where they are staying right now. So she has seen uh, Germans, Nazis, but she said that these Russian soldiers, they are worse. And she's seen the uh, destroying, destroyment of their home twice during her lifetime. This is such a tragic story. As I hear you tell this, Roman, I can't believe it's happening. I, I have gone to Ukraine many times, probably 15, 20 times, and also to Russia. I have friends in both places. The, the people themselves are, are, are fine people on a one-to-one uh, basis. Of course, I feel closer to the Ukrainians because that's my background. But to see people treating each other so uncivilized uh, is so distressing. I mean, today when I saw the story from the London Daily Telegraph that filmed this uh, ironworks factory, Azov, Azovstal, uh, Azovstal uh, where a thousand civilians are there, they have been there for 50 days, and it shows these pictures of of children, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, and they're being interviewed, you know, by the Daily Telegraph. He says, you know, tell us your thoughts. 
and they say, I just want to go home to my parents. I just want to go home to my parents. They, they, I haven't seen the sun in 50 days. And I, I actually broke down and cried. I, I could not help seeing such inhumane treatment to children who don't deserve this, who shouldn't be in a position like this, sweet children, innocent children, to go through this. And Russian so speaking. Russian speaking children. Right. That was the thing is that they were being interviewed by the by the newspaper and the children were speaking in Russian because that's the predominant language down there. Most Ukrainians are bilingual anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the West maybe they're more <laughs> Ukrainian. But everybody understands but ev everybody understands uh, Russian. Roman, it's just been wonderful talking to you uh, here. Thank you very much for the possibility to to spread the word and uh, we 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 all uh, Ukrainians um feel the prayers and this is uh, not me just saying but uh, everybody who I regularly speak to from different regions the farmers and my colleagues the partners and friends uh, they say that yes we feel these prayers because the situations come when the missiles do not explode they just miss the target and we still survive and so on and so on so thank you very much we hope that this will soon end and this is the fight not only for Ukrainian sovereignty, but for the democracy to be dominant in the whole world. So this matters to everyone. T give us uh, contact information for people who would like to have a little bit more background about you. Give us your website. So, um, like I said at the beginning, we have started the fundraising project, World to Rebuild Rural Ukraine. And uh, this is something to help the villages so the village citizens and more details how uh, everyone can help them uh, are on the website www.wrru.org very simple to remember because this is the world to rebuild rural ukraine.org acronym thank you so much it's been wonderful to have you here unexpectedly as you came from germany and you said can we drop in and see you and so we said wow you know here in a few days and so we're just so very very happy to uh, have you and your wife and your three lovely children come and spend an afternoon with us so thank you very much roman been great to have you thank you all the best to you and uh, let's hope for the peace in the f in the full world very very soon thank you for joining us on inside united if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media to tell your friends about us. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. We post new episodes every Thursday. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at ucg.org. Have a great week. Come back soon for more. This is a production of the United Church of God. For more, visit ucg.org.